All right, if you are here, you are listening to an episode of Sky King's Mental Playground, Polkadot Web 3, and NFT Edition. So I've been running a podcast for a little over a year. We launched the first ever long-form podcast, NFT, with Bruno, who is episode one on this side of the world. And the entire time, it's been an experiment on the business model of media. We are launching now because I am looking for a technical co-founder. And so I'm going to be putting out all of the episodes that we have focused on around Polkadot, around Kusama, around NFTs, and around Web3 onto this channel, which is free. The other ones were behind a paywall because I do believe media should be paid for. But this is going to be an opportunity to connect, get more audience members, you know, just decrease the friction to listen. If you want to hear the other episodes, we've had some amazing guests, everybody from, you know, Professor Robin Hansen, Chris Williamson, um, a bunch of solo casts, Q&As, stuff like that. You can go to skmp.supercast.com. But, and without further ado, if you would like to build a company, one that is focused on changing the business model of media, one that leverages the power of Web3, but has a UX and experience that feels very native and easy to use. I have a vision for something I am calling Stoa, and I need your help to build it. So I'm going to drop a link like right in the description. If you're interested or anybody you know who you think would be a good fit, even just to have a conversation and to learn more, you can hit that link, fill out the form, and we will be in touch Welcome to this episode of Sky King's Mental Playground. Stability. Don't take yourself too seriously. We stand Stability on the King's Mental Playground. The only loss Breathe. in life is not realizing Stability your potential. Yeah. Build the world you want to see. Yeah. Sky King's Mental Playground. Yo, what is up, my friends? This podcast is something I've been excited to give to you for months, and it's been a little bit delayed because of a reason I'll get into in a bit. But this podcast is with Charles Smith. Charles, and I might say Charlie at some points too, he's cool with either. Charles sounds more refined to me though, is CEO and co-founder of a company called Nifty Island. Nifty Island is trying to build an open metaverse. It is a Web3 based game that has absolutely stunning AAA graphics and is a place that is built on the concept if you create the infrastructure and the tools and allow the creators to create you can have a very symbiotic productive generative relationship and i i love that charlie is betting on things betting on a world that i want to live in he is an incredibly big brain human, uh, very, very, very interesting thinker. I've been hanging out with him a fair amount recently, and I'm stoked to call him a friend because he's just honestly an impressive human. You know, we joked in this podcast that, you know, our next episode will be done in the metaverse and on his platform, and I really hope that's true. I'm super excited to check it out. The alpha just released last week. So you had to have a legendary palm at the time in order to play. But as it expands, I recommend following them on Twitter at Nifty Island. 
nifty underscore island. So N-I-F-T-Y underscore I-S-L-A-N-D. Uh, just to stay up to date, you can also go to niftyisland.com, join their Discord. You're going to want to start playing this game and be early. Uh, Charlie and his team have really, really taken the time to think through, to be long-termists, to be in this game for a long time, and how to leverage, and I, you probably hear me say this all the time, but there, there are very few people who are actually taking the opportunity of Web3 and realizing what has been promised. And that is something that Charlie and his team are undoubtedly doing. This is not... This is this is this is a Lindy team. It is something that is very long term thinking, and I highly recommend you guys check it out. I decided to collaborate with two homies that I met out in Miami during Art Basel at the Boonji Project, and we had this idea of doing a little collab. They are the creators of EMA Dash One. That is at EMA1 underscore NFT on Twitter, which is a premium NFT art collection of 5,050 EMA1 female champions built on Ethereum. Now, what really drew me to partner with these guys is one, super dope dudes, two, the artist. So the artist's name is Jesse Art. You can find him on Instagram at Jesse Art. Homie is mad talented. Uh, really enjoy his art. He just did an insane mural in Little Havana. Huge, massive mural in Little Havana of Pitbull. It's, it's fucking sick, to say the least. And so he agreed to collaborate on this project. And so he made a unique one-of-one NFT for the album art for this. And honestly, it's spectacular. I'm super stoked on it. You can Obviously, you'll probably see it on this podcast, but you can also... Always go check it out. I'll drop the link in this description as the first link. That's where you can find all the NFTs from this project. Uh, another way to do it is to go to singular dot. So singular, S-I-N-G-U-L-A-R dot R-M-R-K dot app. And if you go to collections and just search for SKMP or Sky King's Mental Playground or Sky King, it'll come up. Without further ado... Thank you. Shout out to the homies. Listen to this podcast. Seize the day. My interview with Charles Smith. Why will Facebook slash Meta's metaverse lose? Hmm. You know, I think um, the main thing is like the vision of the metaverse is sort of like a more immersive web. Um, And I think the thing that will get people to immerse themselves more deeply in these sort of like 3D worlds virtual worlds will be ownership over them. And I think fundamentally, like that's not the relationship Facebook wants to have with their end users. So I think people will be reluctant to be immersed in a world they don't own a piece of. For sure. Especially when the opportunity exists in a different one. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in the end, like where they're placing their biggest bets and what's most likely to pay off is that they're going to define some sort of hardware standard for the space and be more of like a kind of big, platform level play and then i think a lot of the app level stuff will be done elsewhere by other by more kind of like it'll be more bottom up it'll be more you know new entrepreneurs who are more native to gaming itself and also to crypto for sure
it's interesting because it does seem like the hardware play almost like they're like you know looking over at apple and just seeing like how much they've been able to limit throttle them and then also like how much more profitable they've been and like thinking about moving into hardware which is like such such an interesting thing one of my friends is uh robotics dude uh, he runs a company called Madebot, currently called Madebot. they're about to transition but um and like building hardware is fucking hard but it does seem like the benefits can be there in the long run definitely yeah for them all of their services are defined by the smartphone it's like a piece of hardware they don't control and so this is an opportunity for them to own the whole stack and I don't think they're going to miss on that. And there's no one else taking it as seriously as them right now. So I'm pretty bullish on their, like if anyone wins in terms of like the hardware standard for AR, AR, VR, it feels like they're a top contender and it's a way for them to push Apple aside and define the experience end to end. That being said, I'm again, bearish on their ability to really define the app layer of it, which I think is fine. It's not a loss for them really. But I don't think they're going to own the stack end to end, which is maybe what some people are imagining now, especially because of the nature of the demos they've shared. But I don't think that's what will happen. Yeah, I think that's what people are afraid of because mm-hmm. that is a scarier world. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you really just got to ask yourself, it's like, you know, do you feel like being in Facebook, but like, you know, in a virtual, like a virtual, do you want to be more immersed in Facebook or less? Like, I think yeah. most people are on less at yeah, this point. Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. they, yeah, I mean, their growth, at least from the Facebook, Facebook level is like decreased. Obviously, Instagram has been good for them. But yeah, I do, I do think that at least people who are intentional about how they live their life. Um, all right. Mind doing a quick intro? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. So my name's Charles, um, the co-founder of Nifty Island. We're building Web3 based games. So we're building a sort of gaming ecosystem that is radically open and player owned. The centerpiece of that and what people know us for right now is Nifty Island. So that's an open game verse that feels a little bit like a cross between Animal Crossing and Roblox, whereby every user has their own island and they can customize it how they want, display their NFT collection, earn crypto by attracting people to their island, and then eventually play, they can play games on top of their island that will have financial stakes. So yeah, that's what we're doing. And but for me, I've been in crypto since like 2016 or so. Um, and uh, yeah, basically just been grinding on all sides of it from mining to being on the project side. And we started this project back in March and have just been kind of running full throttle at it since. So yeah. That's epic. What do you, so when did you, like, have you always been a gamer? Like what was your first video game? Like how, how do you think about gaming? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would say, it was like the medium for socializing with friends and hanging out and kind of just spending time since I've been a kid. And, and then it's remained that as well, like having friends that are all over the country or the world and discord and, you know, gaming platforms being the place where you kind of meet up, like it is the communal space. Um, so yeah, I've, I've played forever and played a bunch of like MMOs, like RuneScape was a really big Guild Wars player for a long time. Uh, and then, played a lot of Forex games, a lot of strategy games. So I've always, always gamed a lot. And it's always been the way that I stay in touch with people. And with this idea, part of the impetus for it is that I think like the internet is a little bit atomized right now. And gaming is sort of the most really communitarian experience that people have like on their computer, uh, where they're actually spending more like time in a high fidelity environment with other people. They're collaborating you know, you're like, you know, there's like moments of like adrenaline, like it's funny. It's 
it kind of mimics like a full social experience a lot more than like the feed, which I'm honestly pretty wearied of. Like the feed is a drain. Gaming actually can be really generative. So I've just always really had faith in the medium and uh, yeah. And then that's uh, and then really with what we're doing now, I just think it's a medium that's waiting to kind of phase change and become something much more important that kind of in some ways replaces the feed and becomes more of the default thing that people interact uh, with others through. So yeah, I've, I've always done it. Big, have a lot of faith in the medium and uh, yeah. It's, it's wild to me. Like just thinking about like where you are in your career, what you're focusing on building and thinking about all of the other people who have built in their entire lives around gaming, whether it's from like a social side of like phase clan to like all of the crypto games to riot, to all these stories, now movies being made about games. Like, uh, like it's just crazy about how big it is and how big of an opportunity it is and how much so much like the future will probably be there, especially if you have, uh, you know, a lot of people who live in shitty standards of life. And this is a great opportunity for them to escape and build themselves in a world that's higher quality. You know, like you can probably bring a smartphone a lot easier to a small country than you could like it's a decent agricultural system and they can escape and build these things. And yet the thing that blows my mind is I wonder how restrictive this is with especially going into the area we're going into with China doing their like three hours a day Mac or three hours a day of a week, like maximum of like kids being able to do that. Like, would you, do you think if you were put in that like situation, would you have ever been able to build like what you're planning on building now? Right. Right. Um, yeah, I think, um, what we're seeing with gaming and like, I think what the, it's hard to know from the outside, really what the intention behind any of these like sort of dictates in like China are like from the outside, it's just very hard to tell. And crypto, it's always been the case with that too, where there's been like nominal bans, but they're not really bans. And so it's hard to know exactly what the rationale behind it is. But that being said, um, I think what we're seeing is that gaming has just exploded in terms of like monetary value and the amount of time being spent in it, it's reached a point where it's like culturally the norm, like it's normal to game celebrities almost want to position themselves as gamers. Like when Drake appeared on the Ninja stream, I felt like that was like a moment of like, okay, we've really hit the point where gaming is actually in some ways aspirational. You have like jewelry collect, like kind of, I remember seeing just recently, it was like, there's a, what is it? Some jewelry company that's doing like a halo master chief, like diamond collection. So we've reached a point where, uh, like the medium is just like culturally super relevant. And I think we're waiting for it to just be taken a lot more seriously and become something else more than just a game. I think if you were building in China right now, it would be hard to really embrace that future because clearly like the government's against that. Like mm-hmm. they don't want the medium to be taken as seriously. They're viewing it as like a time suck and a kind of drain on productivity. Um, when I think it could phase change into something very different than that. For sure. And I feel like it's almost like almost already there. And like you would probably know this more than I, but isn't the, like the entire like esports gaming economy larger than like film industry? Yeah. Yeah. Gaming dwarfs the the like kind of the, the movie industry for sure. Um, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but yeah, it's like ridiculous. It's a ridiculously huge market. Um and uh, and it's just continued to grow. Like mobile has brought it to a whole new audience. It's now pretty much ubiquitous. Like everybody kind of games in some way or another. So yeah, it's a massive category for sure. And then the Web3 stuff is like just a tiny nascent one, but the part of it that I'm the most bullish on. What did you think about one of the big gaming companies saying like, we're not going to do anything in Web3? Oh yeah. Well, you had, so you had uh, Steam indicate that like they put in place a rule that, 
you wouldn't be able to have any like blockchain based games in, in their store. So valve came out and said that. Um, and I think basically it's kind of a similar story to what you've seen with DeFi, where a lot of the incumbents view blockchain gaming as having a bunch of compliance problems, because basically you're going from in-game items and money being like in a walled garden where it has no real world consequences to suddenly it's redeemable for cash. It introduces a bunch of issues around like AML KYC. It introduces like issues around like potentially securities law. Like it, you've stumbled into like thorny territory. Uh, It's also an area that's really controversial to the public for whatever reason. And so a lot of them are just kind of going like risk off on it. They already, you know, the bag is secured for valve. They're good. And they don't, and it's just not worth the risk. And, so I think, yeah, you're seeing a lot of reluctance to do anything, which it's, yeah, it's really similar to DeFi. It just leaves room for Web3 upstarts because other people aren't willing to dive in. So it's, I think the more and more we see that, the more and more I'm bullish on people who are native to the crypto space, making their own game studios and new IP. I'm more bearish on how that will translate to like legacy companies doing it. I'm, I'm not super enthusiastic about that right now. I haven't seen much reason to be excited about it. For sure. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, so I've like played like a fair amount of crypto games and like a lot of the game mechanics have been fun, like simple and addicting, but like fun. But all of the graphics have basically been like 1990s level mm-hmm. graphics, like generally not that great. Yeah. Your guys' graphics look insane. So like how, how when you were thinking about going into this, like how important was that for you? Yeah, yeah. I think what we were trying to do is sort of look at like, where's the ball going and what's going to matter, you know, in a couple, like a few years down the line right now, I think just given the bull market, there's just, there's a lot of big premium on just shipping something, getting something out there. That's sort of what it does is it like means there's a huge value for like displaying some progress now. And uh, like being long-termist is like not quite as rewarded right now. Um, and so a lot of people are just kind of trying to get a game out there. Um, and yeah, for us, I think like the main, the, one of the main impetus for what we're doing is that there's all this NFT inventory and we're like, okay, like, where is it going to live? Like, what's the context that it all exists in? Like, do we all just want to stare at it in OpenSea, like, you know, and just trade it with each other? Or do people want to display it on like an Instagram like page, which, and there's some cool projects like gallery doing that, or is there something else going on? Like, is it, you know, is, is there another medium that people want to display it in our bet? is that basically like an open game world that is kind of like a Minecraft or a Roblox becomes the main place where people want to display and interact around these NFTs. People want to build utility around them. Like Bored Ape is launched to play is launching a play to earn game. Like they're trying to add gaming utility and interactivity around their NFTs in order to like maintain interest and try to build value around them. And my feeling is that lots of NFT projects will want a kind of gaming angle and want uh, that to be part of the future of of, of their community. Uh, but it's really hard to make a game. And so for us, we were thinking like, can we build a sort of open gaming platform where all these NFT projects can have a gaming presence and add content and value there without having to build a game from the ground up? And so for us, like the graphics, et cetera, we want to be a platform that is like robust enough, high quality enough that people see it can, you know, really dig in and invest in it. Like think like, if you're an NFT project and you're thinking about building a game, you're like, yeah, maybe we won't build it ourselves. Maybe we'll build a full-fledged experience, like an island and a game type on Nifty Island. That's kind of the, that's the thought. We're trying to future-proof it in a way. Yeah. I love that. So you're basically like, so each person who has an island has the opportunity to then go and can build games on top of the island. 
Yeah. Yeah. So the building, yeah. So exactly. In, in our like alpha version, we'll be able to let someone just build an island and they'll be able to do quite a lot there. Like they can use an in-game build system that's pretty simple and user-friendly if they don't want to put in too much effort. Um, and you'll be able to create like a custom space with their NFTs displayed. Uh, they'll be able to invite their community members there, hang out, voice chat, text chat, eventually play games. What's going to take a little longer, but which we will do eventually, is letting other people build their own games on top of us. Uh, and that could be like that a particular NFT project wants to build a game or, um, you know, or a game dev, like a small indie studio is like, oh, I'm going to try and build a game on top of this, just like they do with Roblox. So, yeah, that's the that's the that's the thought there is um, we're letting NFT projects build their own game. Anyone who wants to build their own game, we want to eventually let them build their own game on top of us. Yeah. That's so interesting. So like you're in in a way building, I mean, literally building a platform, right? As opposed to building like a specific app, you're building the app store meets like an NFT marketplace Mm -hmm. meets whatever. So people can then you give the infrastructure, the platform, then anybody can just come in and build the world that they want to see. Definitely. Yeah. I think Roblox is the best point of reference here. Like it is, Roblox is a game of games. It is. They're basically providing like creator tools for game devs and artists who want to create their own 3D assets, their own avatars, uh, their own wearables, whatever. They're providing tools for that marketplace to sell them. They have their own currency as well. Um, and it basically becomes a sort of game of game, like an ecosystem. And and I think really like there's a lot of ro- like they're they're in a way they're Valve mixed with Fortnite, you know, mixed with OpenSea altogether. Like yeah. that's what Roblox has done. And we want to, and I think that is the model I'm the most bullish on. Mm-hmm. And we want to try and take that a lot further by giving people robust property rights over the NFTs they create, like the game assets they make, and then over the game itself. So if people contribute a lot to the game, they get a piece of it through a token. So we're definitely trying to like hyperextend the Roblox model very like much further by using uh, Web3, basically. Yeah. yeah. That's fucking awesome. Okay, so let's let's back up, back up a little bit. Sure. Let's go back to let's say <clears throat> December of 2019, or no, wait, 2020. Yeah, December of 2020. You like at this point? Do you already have this idea phase? Like, are you starting to pitch it around? Like, I know you started in March of 2021. Like, where were you mm-hmm. December of 2020? Let's reverse it. Let's say, yeah, where were you December of 2020? Yeah. So I think at that point I'd. I had moved out of the Bay Area where I'd been working on another crypto startup and I'd gone back to New England and was kind of knew that I was going to be taking a little bit of a time to like incubate and think about what was next. And I had a lot of ideas kind of burgeoning and then COVID hit and that kind of just intensified that and made it like mandatory, uh, which I guess in a way was good. Um, And what I was thinking really was I had seen a lot of what had happened around tokens in like the sort of 2017 bull run. And initially, all those things were viewed as purely financial kind of instruments. It was like, okay, cool. You can have these sort of things that are a little like stocks, a little like currencies, uh, and people are trading them. And there's some financial utility there. And that was kind of what people were thinking about mainly, I think, in 2017, 18. Um, people were hyped on like security tokens, et cetera. Like that was, that was where the energy was. And then what, but what I've been seeing on the ground and what's become a big narrative now is just that when people have ownership over something, even if there's not a lot to do, suddenly like internet communities start behaving really differently. Like mm-hmm. people are extremely active in producing content. Uh, 
like you'll have people creating like price spots, people creating like pretty elaborate memes, sticker packs, like, you know, telegram groups and then subgroups, you know, like the project I was working on had not only a main channel, but like uh, many sub channels, all moderated by different people. And so you started to just see like community involvement and effort really skyrocket. And to me, that was like the most interesting thing beyond like all the kind of like financial applications. It was just like, oh, when the internet owns something, they suddenly all these things that we take for granted, like meme culture and kind of just like open altruistic contributions get turbocharged. And I was like, that's really interesting. And then was thinking about that and was thinking about like internet communities and was, and also kind of just had a longstanding like feeling that like, you know, a lot of old forms of community have been sort of washed away over the years. And the internet's kind of like become this like half solution to that. Like people are on Facebook kind of, or like Twitter or wherever Instagram. And there's like a lot of parasocial kind of stuff. People are following other people. It's not ultimately that gratifying, but it is a replacement for like older forms of like community, but it's not a great one. And so I kind of had this dual thing of, I'm like, okay, there are these really powerful communities forming around tokens. There's a need for new digital communitarianism. And I also like gaming. And I was kind of thinking about that and thinking about it with my co-founder where we were like pretty convinced crypto and gaming would merge. And as soon as NFTs like started to kind of pop off, and I would say that would be like very early 2021, you know, that where things there started to be this real interest around them, that sort of made it all click where it was sort of like, how can someone own a piece of a game? Like, you know, it's like, okay, like NFTs answer that, like scarce digital goods in a game. Like this is a new form of property rights for games. And we were like, okay, if people can own a piece of a game through NFTs, then, you know, likely there's going to be a much more passionate community around them. You can harness your user base to create content and create a more generative, interesting world. And that was kind of where Nifty Island came together. It was like those different impulses. And uh, and it was in early 2021 that it kind of all clicked as soon as NFTs became like a thing, basically. Yeah. yeah. When did you come up with the name of like going the Nifty route versus like NFT? Because like I remember February of 2021. Uh, I first heard it just like, instead of hearing it described as an NFT, I heard it described Nifty. And I was like, I like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's, it's, I, I basically, we'd seen it around um, and, you know, Nifty Gateway for sure yeah, has yeah. that, you know, like it, it had been out there. I, I like it. Um, I like it because I think there's two things kind of needs going on when you're making like a name for something like this right now. One is you want it to be like actually legible to people. Like, what is this thing? Like, does it have to do, you know, if it has to do with NFTs, you should kind of let people know. Um, but you also want to future proof the name a little bit where eventually we probably won't even talk about NFTs. It'll just be like a backend tech yeah, yeah. that no one cares about. And I like Nifty because it's like, it has its own meaning. You know, it's like an allusion to NFTs and those who need to know will know that. But I expect that if the game's really popular in the future, a lot of people will just consider it Nifty Island and they yeah. won't even think of it. So it's almost like, you know, it's a name that gets us through this early awkward period where everyone's talking about NFTs and whatnot. And then once it becomes just ubiquitous and like a backend tech, it kind of falls away and it can just be Nifty Island. And I think as soon as we said the word, those words, that was when we kind of knew we had to like do it full time. We were like, okay, yep. And just islands are so generative. Like there's just so much you can say about them. And it, it's, it's so aspirational to have your own island in real life. And for sure. And also islands are like the, like it's a perfect, like atomic unit of the platform, right? It's like, here's everyone gets their own space. They can cultivate as they want. And it just, I think it just is like the perfect canvas for a user is an island and animal crossing kind of proved that out too. So for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The name was like kind of 
once we said the name, we kind of knew we had an idea in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting excited about it. Just thinking about building podcast <laughs> islands and Let's having go. like, you know, you have the GRE one here and then, you know, I'll have my one over here and it'll yeah. be super fun and people can just pop in and see what's going on. And like, that's sick. We're going to have to do a follow-up episode in the game. For sure. Dude. Oh my God. Let's, Let's do it. Do, yes. Yeah. That'd be amazing without a doubt. Uh, okay. So then when you, so you have the idea, have a name, have a co-founder, mm-hmm. where, how do you go about getting funding? Um, yeah. So basically, you know, we had, yeah, Zach and I had been kind of ideating for a while and even started to build like a proof of concept version. Okay. So over the course of like a month or so, Zach was putting together kind of something that displayed the early properties of the game, kind of early functionality. And this is, that's kind of what we raised on was cool. like, you know, here's this idea. And then in a very short span of time, he put together something that like approximates what it could be like, like a sort of, you know, mock sort of proof of concept. and. We also, I went, we hired a couple of my old, like one guy I had, I'd only recently met a smart contract engineer and then a really like formidable full stack dev that I've known since I was a kid. And we brought them on. And so we had like the core of a team, uh, plus actually one other person I knew from college. So we had like, you know, three engineers, this proof of concept and we, yeah, just kind of started raising and I already kind of had a Rolodex in the space. So that was good. And, uh, and somewhat of a track record. So yeah, we just kind of went out, showed that, pitched, and thankfully around that time it was Axie was starting to pick up. Yeah. And the metaverse hadn't become as much of a meme as it is now, but it was like starting to get going. And so a lot of the more like savvy and kind of quite frankly, like ballsy VCs were kind of at that point like being like, okay, it's probably time to have a play in there. And so we were able to raise from a bunch of great funds and uh, backers at that point. Yeah. That's sick. And then yeah. as soon as you raise, you just now it's just to work oh yeah we did yeah just we've really tried to prioritize speed because it all moves so fast yeah you can like if if you have some thesis on how it's going to play out like it'll all change under you in like three months you know so we've got a long-term view that i believe in and i think it's about like but the path to get there will shift over time a ton as the space shifts for sure you kind of have to meet the crypto space where it's at like you have to say here's where the vitality and interest is right now and you got to pick a path that like harnesses that while also having a long-term thesis. I think that's kind of the challenge for like people, entrepreneurs in the space is you can be stupidly long-term and kind of ignore trends completely. And I think that's like, it has its own danger. And then you can also be like, you know, really myopic and just be like, Oh, is, is DeFi yield farming big now? You know, okay, we need to do an ohm fork now, you know, and that yeah. you're going to be on the back foot and whatnot. So anyway, we prioritize speed. Since then, we built up a pretty big team. So we have like 42 people working on it, just really been aggressively like networking and hiring in the gaming space. So we have a big Unity game dev team, pulled in some blockchain devs as well. We have a front end team working on the marketplace, DevOps, a big art team that's uh, mainly in Brazil. Um, and we have art director. So we just kind of fleshed out the team really quickly and have just been building. And a lot of the summer too was a lot of like unglamorous work creating core game systems, great doing a lot on the back end to ensure we could assimilate all these different NFTs, bring them into the game. At this stage, we're pushing towards an alpha on, in January. So we're going to like have the this first, it'll be rough. It'll be the first basic version, but we'll get it out in January and we'll let like a thousand users in start experimenting with it. And hopefully over the course of a month or two, we'll be ready to open up to everyone. And that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that's insanely fast. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, even think about just like a game development cycle, like it's not a year. 
So to say that not only did you do a game, but a Web3 based game in a year and raised funds and did all this stuff, like that's pretty wild. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's been a really uh, crazy year. That's kind of what it's like, too. It's funny. um, Like, you know, you can I've I've been in crypto in the bear market and in the bull and they all have their own like pains to them (laughs) in the bear market, like the pain especially if you're like at the helm of something, I think is all existential. It's sort of like, does what we're doing make sense? Like, you know, et cetera, you know, is it the, but the, but the pro of it is you have tons of time to think and contemplate yeah. what you should do. Whereas the pains of a bull market are, you are always thinking as like a founder in the space, like, am I capitalizing on this moment enough? Like, have I, if I let a month slip by without fully maximizing it, like that's a month that doesn't come back. Like there won't be another, you know, say like September of 2021 or something like a really bullish month like that, that passes by once if you don't capitalize on it and garner more interest and or capital, it's just not going to be the same in a year. So uh, yeah, we've really tried to lean into that. We've really tried to say like, this is a great time to start the project and get good momentum going. And so we just, yeah, you can't waste any time basically. I think I feel that a lot, like <clears throat> a lot of this year I built up like a second branch of my company and I was like, I realized like about like two months into it, I was like, fuck, like this has been probably the biggest opportunity cost mistake I've ever made because like I realized like my interest was all in Web3. That's where I like knew where I was going to start building. But instead, I was doing this other thing that was unrelated to that. And it was taking up, you know, like 20 hours a week. And I was like, mm-hmm. that is a massive opportunity cost. So that's why I ended up shutting it down, even though it was like super profitable. But I was like, I can't do this. Like, it's too much of an opportunity cost. And that's where it's like, now I've gotten everything to a place where, and I feel that so heavily though, like, especially since like in the NFT space, all of the, like that was what was popping off, which has always been where my interest has been. I was like, wow, like I really biffed that one. It's, it's tough. I mean, yeah, it's, I, I, the way I think of it too, is it's all about like shelling points in crypto and it's like, what's a shelling point? Shelling points, like basically when it's like kind of a self-reinforcing, like, kind of a like game theory phenomena. So basically like it's when, you know, say there's like a a set of choices or possibilities. And when everyone picks one, it's when you, when you pick one, it sort of self-reinforces. It always makes sense to be in that same equilibrium as everyone else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's the sort of thing where it's like, uh, like uh, in a way, like a prison, the prisoner's dilemma, like, you know, if, if, you know, it, it, what becomes the shelling point is everyone, you know, reneging and ratting on each other. It could be used in that case. It could be used as like, what I mean here is like, say there's a narrative or uh, like a new opportunity in crypto. Everyone's looking for the horse to bet on Mm -hmm. and, and everyone wants to find the right project to bet on. It doesn't make sense to bet to, you know, pick the wrong one, but it's really reflexive where say like Uniswap emerges as like the main decks, people start to bet on it it makes sense to bet on it because other people are betting on it and it becomes self-reinforcing and it becomes this sort of shelling point where investors and devs and users all align around this one thing. And I think crypto is really has that in a big way because all of this just exists online and users, just users, investors, devs all need to place their bets if they're interested in a particular space. And so speed becomes important because if you get out in front and you just exist as an option for people, then you, it's easier for you to become the shelling point to become the the horse everyone bets on. And if everyone bets on you, you're more likely to win. And then more people are going to want to bet on you. And so with meta, the metaverse thing too, like 
that's where it was so important to be quick because there's like, you know, Decentraland exists, Sandbox exists, there's other projects and there will be more. And for us, it's like, we need to get it. Like we can do this where we, we, we can execute on this. And if we move quickly and present as like a real option for people, then we're more like, you know, it's more likely to work out basically. But I think that's like, I hear on, so basically to what you were saying, like the opportunity cost can be massive just because say it's like the podcast NFT space, like there'll be a project that emerges as like the leader that because they were, you know, that's first and everyone will bet on that because it's the only one available. Mm-hmm. And then they become more likely to win because people have bet on them and yep. it just becomes reflexive. So without a doubt, I feel yeah. that a lot because like we were probably, we were the first like long form ones, like over probably over 20 minutes. It was like hour and a half, like so super long. We did 500 megabytes and but then like Kevin comes and does like sells a thousand NFTs for his project on it. So like the scale at which like our two things were, was just like insane. And his podcast, 250,000 downloads. And it's just mm-hmm. like per episode. And you're just like, holy fuck. And to watch like that happen, it was like so exciting. Yeah. Cause there's just like so much now, like now that that's happened, so many podcasts are going to start moving in. And like totally. when I went to my clients and I was like, told him what I did, every single one of them wanted me to make like their podcast and NFTs. And I like, could, that could be a whole nother company for right. me like doing that, but that doesn't really sound that fun. Um, but, no, but yeah. I hear that. Like you'll have some leader, like you can look at it with NFTs, and, like profile pictures, like punks were first. They are like a shelling point for capital and collectors and kind of clout and thought leadership. And so they become this thing and then, there'll be a desire for like a follow on one. And that's kind of bored ape, like puts a spin on the formula is the, like the second. And then that becomes like a, you know, a shelling point for people with a slightly different thesis or who missed punks mm-hmm. and they all pile in. And then, you know, then the third down becomes like a huge drop. Like, is it cool cats or is it what? Like there, there's a huge drop from like, you know, punks to apes. And then the third is way, way harder. And if you fall outside of that top two or three, like there isn't a lot of room. Like mm-hmm. it becomes because it, everyone wants to bet on something that other people are betting on. No For one, sure. being alone on a bet is dangerous and maybe not wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? So okay, what we're we're getting into like one of my favorite topics actually, which is like Girardian thought and like mimetic desire. Like, are you a fan? Are you familiar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, I'd say like you know, uh, fairly familiar. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think basically it's in a way another frame on the same thing, which is people desire. Yeah. What other people desire. Uh, and it's actually like pretty socially well adapted to do that. So you don't end up on your own. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, like, yeah, I think it's, it's another, it's another framing of the same phenomena. Yeah, definitely. I, I find it weird that like Teal isn't deeper in the space because to me, NFTs specifically, but all of the ICOs, like all of the tokens, like mm-hmm. it's just like it's such an optimized version of of Gerard's like concept of, yeah. of like it's just like it is literally that like oh people have that okay I'm gonna want that and it just keeps piling on and piling on and piling on and piling on it's wild yeah 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 it's true maybe I mean I don't know what he thinks but it could be that he views that phenomena a little more pessimistically. Like yeah. he's like, ah, we're trapped in this like, you know, mimetic hellscape where everyone's just chasing what other people want. Yeah. And it may be that he's worried about that more than he is like excited about things that leverage that for fact sure. or something. So maybe that's it. But uh, I agree though, that basically, um, yeah. NFTs play on that in a huge way. Yeah. Like why, why board apes and not another one. It's like, it's because other people want it and mm-hmm. people have assigned value to it and it's self-reinforcing. 
you know. Yeah, it could yeah. be one of the like another steam situation where he's just kind of like, yeah, I'm 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 good. I'm actually preparing for Doomsday. I think that you guys are driving Doomsday. (laughs) Like the chaos here is insane. Like I believe in the principles, but like I'm cruising right now. I think so. I think, yeah, it's like, I mean, if you're worth like billions of dollars and you don't really like you're looking to maintain and probably more concerned that there's some big problem in like the basic economy, you know, like, Oh, it's like, are we going to run out of like food or water? NFTs are like many degrees removed from that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So for, I I get it. You know, he's secured the bag. He's worried, you know, he wants probably to have like a fortress somewhere. He does in New Zealand. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dual citizenship and like this crazy fortress thing. Nice. Yeah. 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 Fair. It sounds beautiful too. Have you read a three body problem? I haven't actually. Wait, did I ask? It's I on my actually, list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on my list. It's sure. fucking phenomenal. Do you have it over there? Uh, I have it in Kindle. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've I haven't I've been going deeper into Kindle lately, just because like these books become really hard to move. Yes. And so exactly. now I'm like, and I love real books, like I absolutely love them. Yeah. But like, I like just having a my Kindle. They tie like, you down. They, they tie really you do. down, bro. It's like the more really most do. objects my I own are books. Like so. Yes. Like, yes. Fuck. And they're heavy. They're they heavy. Really are. No, it's a bummer. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Kindle guy too. Yeah. But again, I, I'm in the same. I have the same problem. Like when I move, I have like a huge box of books, mm-hmm. and it's the it's like probably like eighty percent of the weight of things I own. They yeah. Are just books. Yeah. Do you give like your team or new hires like a book or like an essay or something that like you think helps them understand the culture of the company? That is a good question. Um, you know, I haven't done as much there yet, um, and I think like my approach there has been much more like uh, ensuring that we bring in people who I feel really good about. Yeah. You know, it's like the top of the funnel. Like you can do things to try to change, you know, the culture and influence how people will be when they join, but you can also just be really careful about bringing in good people. And, uh, and so that's been mainly my approach. We haven't, and to be honest, that's maybe also one of the sacrifices of the speed that we've been engaging Mm. in is like, Definitely haven't had time to assign reading materials to anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, can we build the game in like less than a year? Yeah. And then also, could you read like uh, some Gerard or something? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to pick one. That's on true. That is, yeah. it's, it's, but we will though. We're, yeah. Once we get the game out, I plan, like a lot of the team I've never met in person. Yeah. You know? uh, and, and so we're going to have like a retreat and we'll all hang out. And that'll be a time to really double down on it and be like, okay, we're going to be in this thing for a long time. There's like a big, exciting road ahead. Let's like, you know, let's uh, take time to double down on that, the relationships and like the alignment that you want between the team. That's like a time to reinvest in it. So, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how it's amazing how much discord, like how much being smart in discord, understanding how it works can actually be like financially very beneficial to people these days. Do you have any tips for someone who has never been in it before or for someone who's trying to build community in it? like? either strategic tips to think through or like obvious mistakes to avoid. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Um, yeah. So I think, um, one of the big things that you kind of have to manage early on is like crypto is definitely the lifeblood of it is a speculative thing. Like that is a huge part of it. It's sort of like the dark energy of the space that kind of draws everyone in. Um, but it's one you kind of have to carefully use. So it's like, you know, if you have a discord and it's kind of founded on complete speculation from the get go, um, you fall into this failure mode of like, 
everyone's there for some quick flip. No one really wants to stay. If like, if, you know, the speculative excitement leaves, the community just breaks apart and people will grow too fast and focus too much on being like speculative uh, too early. That being said, you need something for people to like the great thing about like things with the movable with the price that moves is it creates like a whole activity for people to engage in and, and people are all wondering about it together and it becomes like part of the community. It should be part, but not the whole thing. So that'd be one thing is I'd say like, you know, like you want, you need to mediate that really well. What we did for this was we gave away these like legendary palm NFTs. Uh, so these are sort of like, and like they're kind of relics from the founding of the game verse that we give to people who like believed in the project early and who jumped in when there wasn't obvious that it's going to be great. And I still, and so we're still giving those out in these early days. And, um, and that gave people like, you know, a stake in the project essentially and something to kind of like think about and to some degree, like perhaps speculate on, although we didn't like, you know, intend for that. It's happened much more than we thought it would. Um, and so, yeah, like we did something where we didn't ask for anything from the community. We didn't make it about speculation, but there was room for that. And we kind of balanced that nicely. So, yeah, I think it's that. I think it's you really got to like reward and cherish people who like go to bat for you early. So it's like you'll find people who organically show interest. And then it's like, can you follow up on that? Can you be sure to like retweet, like what they do? Can you be sure to reward that? Uh, and give people a place in, in it. I think that that's really important, you know? Uh, so it, it's tough. I also think just being there, you know, you need team members in the discord. Uh, people should feel like what they say counts and that you're reachable. Um, yeah. You can't also substitute for like actually giving a shit also, because there are a lot of people, like I have people give, ask this, these sort of questions sometimes. And some of them are just so clearly short termist, you know? Yeah. And then I'm sort of like, well, people aren't going to be drawn to your community because they are sniffing correctly that this is not real. You yes. Know? Uh, so actually being long term as people can tell, you know, mm-hmm. people can tell what you're about. That's such a huge part of it. You know, like you, there's all these tactics, but ultimately like, you know, present as what you're actually doing. And for us, it's like, we're trying to build a really great game over many years. Uh, and we want people to have a piece of it. People can tell and they like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What, why did you, so I know you're going to do a token launch, but after the game's already live, like what was the thought process there versus doing the token launch before to help fund it, bring hype, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So uh, uh, that's a yeah. Greta, Greta, Greta Thunberg quote also. I don't know if you caught that. Oh, the blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? No, dude. At this like more recent, like summit for environmental summit, like she was giving a speech and then she was like, old people, blah, 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 blah. And then like, just kept like going on her speech as a, like, it's just like, as opposed to like going through it, it wasn't her best moment, but don't need to pick on her. But yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, with the, with that, so uh, I'll go into some stuff. There's some stuff we're not going to say yet about how we're, cool. you know, pl- planning things around that. Uh, and, uh, but I can say this, like, basically I think there's three different models that I've seen in terms of like how to do like what relationship a token has with the timing of like launch of a product. So I think the three models we've seen are this one is like the, you know, big public sale well ahead of product launch. And, um, you know, you open it up to anyone. People participate and then they're awaiting a product launch and hanging out and speculating on that possibility. That's one. So that's like the the big token sale pre-launch. The other option that I've seen is 
on the far end of the other, you know, far end of the spectrum, the other way is something like Uniswap, where, you know, there is no token for a long time. The product gains some amount of traction. Then there's like a retroactive airdrop where you reward people who have been participating. That's interesting in its own way. It definitely shores up support. It rewards people who have been a part of it. Uh, It has a lot of like regulatory advantages too. The middle ground option, which is the one I favor uh, for what we're doing, is kind of more like Yearn, where it's like the token is intimately bound up in the genesis of the project. No, like the product goes live, people earn the token by interacting with the product, and they become early supporters and they have to do things to get the token. I really like that option. I think basically the problem with option one and three, you know, the Uniswap option and the presale option, is the tokens end up in the hands of people you know, who aren't necessarily like true evangelists, you know, evangelists, like with, you know, with the pre-sale thing, it brings in people who just want to speculate. And if the price goes down, they're not going to want to be there. Uh, With the Uniswap option, I think it's cool, but I don't think it's the best for community growth because you're just giving the token out to a bunch of people who like happen to have used your product at some point, but aren't necessarily like the most passionate early supporters that are going to like want to really gun for you. And when you look at like the uni community, like it's not like the tightest knit token community. People kind of hold it. They don't talk about it. And obviously it's done well, but uh, I think that's partly just because the product's great. So, uh, and then that middle option, it's like, you're basically perfectly, at least if you do it right, you're rewarding people who show faith and want to do work to support the project early. And so you end up with this like virtuous folder class that is like, you know, they believe in the project. They want to be a part of it. They have skin in the game. They've done real work for it. And you want to slowly build that out. That's like the path, I think, to real, like sustainable growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the token then really is a community tool. And it's about the utility that it has in the platform because, that, yeah. So it's, yeah, that's, that's my view. I like the second option, the middle one, middle path. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I was, I was, I remember the first time I watched uh, like a bunch of like DGen, like Moon Boys turn on a project. It was fucking fascinating it was actually it was actually this shirt i'm wearing it was the boonji project and uh like it, the like i liked the art i like the artist i yeah. like followed him from before it's so, like cool jump into this seems like a cool thing and like the i love uh doing dutch auctions because they're mm-hmm. super fun and exciting and I, we've talked about that and so i had a blast like going into it and like yeah the in the price just like the floor just like crashed immediately and i was like cool whatever like i'm just gonna i still like believe in the project no issue but as i was watching people react to it crashing immediately and everybody just flipping out like the the community dude on the discord like had to like quit because his like mental health was so bad from how often he was being attacked and i was like and that's what made me realize is like oh these people who are here for speculation are like a cancer Mm. in a weird way and they're like it's very brutal and yeah. I like, you know, it's kind of like when you go into like uh, the Facebook's like rec room or Meta's rec room the first mm-hmm. time and you like, you know, when you're playing all the games by yourself or with your friends, things are cool. But then you step in the rec room and you just hear all of these like 17 year old kids like throwing slurs at each other. And you're <laughs> like, oh, shit, like there's a lot of chaos in this world. Yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely. Yeah, no, it's uh, it is. It's like the, the speculative dimensions, like a kind of dark energy. And um, it's um it can't be, it shouldn't be the pure foundation of something. Yeah. That's why I think, I think you're playing with fire if you make it the pure foundation of a community, because yeah, it's like, if you keep delivering wins and you end up on a good path, you can't fully control that, but you can try and you keep delivering wins that people will be happy because that's what they're there for. It is to see number go up. 
And that's legit. I'm like, I have nothing against that fact. It's just, you just have to accept it for what it is, you know? Uh, but if you make that the foundation of it, you got to keep playing to it. And you're kind of then stuck in a cycle where you're constantly, your whole orientation has to be as like a project, like, how can I please this group? How can I keep, you know, things going? Whereas if you've done something where you've say given it away to people who kind of contribute and enjoy the product anyway, then your whole orientation can be different. You obviously, you care about those people and you want them to do well, but you can take a more long-term orientation because people have earned it. People aren't losing money on something. It just totally changes the project. Like, I think you can't underestimate how much like the nature of the token is going to change the way the team feels about things internally too. And Mm. it just has so many effects you can't even track. And so like, you need to be deliberate about the path that you want to walk there. And you want to say, this is going to deeply inform everything about how we operate. So we better pick a path that like fits our ethos. And uh, yeah. And some people thrive in the pure speculative dimension. It's not really me, mm-hmm. but uh, some people really thrive in it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Have you read Dune at all? Yeah. Okay. So there's a quote, um, there's a quote and it's like something about, it's a long one. So I'm going to paraphrase, but it's basically like, uh, you know, like the hero must become aware of the myth that they are in mm-hmm. and they must become aware of it, not too aware to where they overthink it and like fuck it up, but also yeah. just aware enough so they can ride it like the wave. Right. And I think a lot of that and like the jihad they build in Dune mm-hmm. is like a lot of like fucking with that speculation like that and how you're doing that. But like he was, you know, to a point able to navigate it for a while, but in the end it ate him. Right. You know, and consumed right. it. It does consume all like. And this is like something that I think is it's a strange story of of rapid growth. And the US at some level has fallen to that game as well. Like, and again, like we're kind of getting like weird layers of thought here, but let's go with it. As soon as like, you know, like we have now gotten to a point where like the real growth that was happening from like birth of US through the mm-hmm. seven through the nineteen seventies isn't really there anymore. Like mm-hmm. wages are increasing, all this stuff. This expectation of constant growth, constant growth. Companies are doing it. Like the old company I worked at. Um, you know, pharmaceutical companies have started finding growth, not through novel advancement, but through price increases. Like right. you have to grow every quarter, no matter what, and you'd be consumed by that growth. Like, how do you think, I think it's something that like people in the crypto space aren't thinking about enough because everything's going up constantly. So mm-hmm. growth is like insane. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we start to think about, and maybe it is finding that middle path, like you said, but like, how are you thinking about the next bear market? How are you thinking about creating a culture of a company that is about a product and less about quarter to quarter growth. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, I mean, in terms of whether I think there'll be a bear market or not, it's really hard to say. It kind of feels like, you know, I'd say this with like real, like not, not certainty at all because you just can't be certain about these things. But like, I think it's possible that we end up with a situation where like we have less of a binary bull bear kind of situation. And it's just like, it seems as though where we're at right now is that certain sectors fall off. Like Mm -hmm. people get bored of DeFi that collapses for a little while. Gaming has a run. Gaming has a bear market. You know, that's kind of feeling like what it is. And that now crypto has so many narratives in it that perhaps it's less of like a, do I believe in crypto or not? And more of like, how are the different subsectors of crypto doing? How are NFTs doing? How's DeFi doing? How's, you know, social tokens doing whatever. So that feels to me like probably where we're going. That being said, if the macro situation went south, we could have like a true, just a uh, true, a true bear. Um, but yeah, I think um, for me, like the North Star is, can you use what's native to crypto, which is like, you know, tokens, NFT, whether those are NFTs or ERC-20s, 
harness them to create something that is like more valuable and more fun that like just has more utility. Like I think we're getting to the point where that's starting to happen. People are building products that just are, have an unfair advantage because they've leveraged these tools. So for us, it's like, if our game verse is really fun to be in super generative, people want to be there. Like that is, that's, that's the North star. That's like what will get you through a bear or a bull is if like you've done something where you're giving out ownership or tokens in a way that makes the product better. Like that's, that's, that's the path I think, um, which is kind of obvious, but that's, that's the path. Yeah. Have you read any Buckminster Fuller? No. Do you know who he is? No. Okay. So our Buckminster Fuller, absolutely epic human, uh, most famous for well, one of his books is called the critical path. And mm-hmm. it's basically super simplified is that like fundamental principle of humanity is regeneration. Um, or not humanity, of the universe is regeneration. Mm. Um, so he's then most famous for the, his geodesic dome, oh, okay. um, which is like these basically like how we take, uh, how we make us a, a housing structure because housing is super important to the human species. That is like the most regenerative as possible energetically mm. um, and waste-based. And like, I've like taken his theories and kind of applied it. Like, so if like, it's almost... Like, I don't know if I believe in like direct morality, but it's almost like a moral statement in the sense like, okay, if the fundamental principle of the universe is regeneration, meaning input becomes output, becomes input, becomes output. Mm -hmm. If we are creating products that are non-regenerative and they actually are just input becomes waste, waste never gets used again, that the universe will find a way to destroy us because we're not acting in accordance Mm -hmm. with the law of the universe, Mm -hmm. which gets a little wonky and like not falsifiable necessarily. But it's something I think is like this strange morality of the universe. So like you keep using the word generative, which I love. And like when we're talking about, you know, video games versus scrolling, one being like regenerative, one being not. And I think one of the fundamental and why crypto can and web three can be something where it is regenerative is because your time. And this is one thing we're really, really focused on with Stoa is we, we were hoodwinked. And I know I said this in the, in the sauna earlier, but like we were hoodwinked into believe that we were getting something for free, but really we're giving away our most important asset. And like, I would say times our most important asset, but even more than time is focus time. Mm-hmm. And we're giving it away. And it's actually not like we're getting something in return. Like we kind of get entertainment, but like for the most of it, especially when you look at Instagram, like look at young women on Instagram, like it's actually, you're actually getting negative experience from it. Like mm-hmm. you're having now more eating disorders, more right. suicides, more depression, more anxiety. Right. So it's like, you're trading your most valuable asset for something you don't even want. Yeah. And yeah. we can actually change that framework and actually give people the opportunity to trade their asset for financial rewards and to actually get good at something, get like being a super fan. So in my case would be like being a super fan of Joe Rogan's podcast can actually become something that's financially rewarding for you. Mm-hmm. It can become your job. Yes. Like, which would be, insane because now the system you're putting your time into is giving you something back and then you Mm -hmm. give it back and then you give it back and you give it back and it's like thinking like being able to build systems that allow for regeneration in financial models and in entertainment and in how we spend our time like i just feel like that will fundamentally shift how we experience the world definitely yeah i agree i agree and i think like yeah when on like a crypto project level it's like you have some projects where they're like giving away a token and there's not much and they're giving away a token in exchange for something, perhaps maybe it's liquidity, maybe staking of some kind, whatever they're giving this away and they're getting some input from the community, but that exchange doesn't really produce very much. Like it's just kind of a temporary thing that isn't creating something richer. And I think that is, that is not, that can't last forever because eventually either you run out of tokens or the token goes down or whatever. And then, you know, you're left with this kind of like a word, like something kind of fairly worthless, um, and I think more and more it's like, 
can you use like these token incentives to produce something yeah of value basically like there's some meaningful exchange i think we're seeing that in gaming like like axie kind of kicked off the beginning of something there where it's like okay players are you know engaging in these battles they're earning this token they're selling that to people who want to create more axes that's like an interesting exchange i think that's like the beginning of a productive exchange and i think it's going to be about can we extend that where like because there are users exchanging value on the platform uh like the platform looks unrecognizable like the games we have today are still kind of fairly simple browser games but like could it be that you go into a game and you're like holy shit like look at the diversity of like you know 3d assets that are in the game and game types that have been created and virtual environments that i'm seeing and it's like how is it so rich and interesting it's like oh because people have been able to earn a stake in this by contributing that's really what i'm super bullish on that is that is it it's like can a game be more generative because people are because there's a value exchange going on, you know, the project is giving up some of the pie to the community or the community is exchanging among themselves. These are all that's what you want. Yeah. Without a doubt. And like, I think I think I think that thesis is 100 percent or I, I would bet heavily on it, like near 100 percent, because if you look at what people have done in Roblox or people have done on. um What's the Minecraft? Minecraft. Yeah, it's like they build these entire worlds and it's just yeah. so they can show their friends. Imagine if they build these entire worlds and that actually paid for their college or paid for their yeah, rent. Like definitely how much more incentivized you be there when it's like, okay, I'm already creative and loving what I'm doing. And now I can actually not have to go to, it's like nine to five that I absolutely fucking hate or like not even have to go to college. So I'm learning all this stuff online and building this world. Yeah, absolutely. Like there are people you can find them on Fiverr or elsewhere that will create Minecraft worlds for you for money. And it is like a, a pretty nascent market, but one that exists. And it's like with Minecraft today, like if you create a world once, someone can take the seed of that. They can share it infinite numbers of times. And, you know, the original artist can't really capture value from all of that. Like there aren't there aren't great like Minecraft doesn't really have property rights built in. Yeah. Roblox has like some property rights, but it's almost like a kind of Soviet central system where like Roblox decide controls the currency. It does, the currency does not appreciate. There are fees at every level where they're extracting, you know, value. And then, uh, and then, you know, creators don't have really a robust claim on what they're doing. Um, and, and if people end users too, who buy say like a wearable in, in Roblox, like it exists in Roblox's database, it's not alienable from them. Uh, it's, it just exists there. And, you know, if Roblox is defunct, then the assets, you know, worthless. And so there's basically like, if you can take something like that and just like put property rights over it, like that is going to be, I think that's, that's the winner. Yeah. Yeah, And this is something that we've seen so many times in the real world. Like, so, uh, are you, are you familiar with Lee Kuan Yew, like the prime minister of Singapore? Yeah. Yeah. So like his book from third world to first world, can't recommend it enough. One of my favorite books of all time. And he, one of the first things he did when he became prime minister of Singapore was he started focusing on like giving loans, massive, massive loans to allow people to buy houses. So it was like, he had two thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Housing can be free or let's actually have people own houses. and We'll give them the ability to do that. And what that did is it allowed people to buy into the concept that Singapore is a part of my identity mm-hmm. because what they were dealing with was like three massive different languages, different races, different cultural issues, Mm-hmm. People had been at war for their entire lives between like the Malays, the Chinese, and then the Singapore natives. And he had to like figure out how to make that all work. And how he did it was property rights. That was like such a massive turning point for yeah. Singapore. And it was for the United States too. Like when you start to realize when you 
And that's why the government will do like first time home buyer, you know, if you 5% down versus 20% down, like that's why they do that is because when you own a piece of something, you inherently value it more yeah. and care about the outcome of it more. Definitely. I totally agree. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And it's like, um, one other, you know, book that's kind of interesting on this, that Hernando de Soto, The Other Path, and it's about basically Latin America. And he's a sort of like more free market oriented economist, but he just writes about the ways in which a lot of the legal system in many Latin American countries, like a hangover from like imperial times in which you have like a kind of well-to-do urban elite and like a largely excluded, like kind of rural population. And that the ability for someone from like from the countryside to be able to like come to a city and like establish property rights and break in and like own what they do and have a business that is like legally recognized and where they have some assurances of property rights is really minimal. And so what you see is like, like the kind of favela phenomena where it's like, you'll have like a city that's sort of like a recognizable, like kind of Western city. And then you'll have these like favelas that grow on the outside that where there are no assurances of property rights, really like the land is sort of just being squatted on and people are existing in this state of uncertainty. And it kind of creates like a development trap because no one has any reason to invest in the future. Um, and I think in the gaming context, like property rights, basically let people triple down on things, which maybe were viewed as like pretty trivial before. So take like the guild concept, right? Like you'd have guilds in world of Warcraft or guilds, you know, or clans in Call of Duty, like these are longstanding things, but they were never things that were treated that seriously. They're not like multi-million dollar businesses. Maybe the media side with like FaZe has changed that a little bit, but generally they're considered part of the game and not really like a real economic consequence. But then you look at Yield Guild games and they basically took the guild model and turned it into like a major business, uh, which is super cool. And the reason they're able to do that is because Yield Guild Games can have a treasury where they robustly own axes. They have a set of assets that they invest in. They have like robust working capital and uh, and then they can form on ease, easily established contracts that are trustless with people they want to work with, with scholars they want to lend those axes to to generate income. So it's, it's really cool. Um, it basically, the property rights let people double down on things which seem trivial before. Gaming is just ripe with thing with room for that. Like say you create skins for Roblox today and that doesn't feel like that big a deal, right? You're kind of like, yeah, it's cool. You know, I make like 20 bucks on a t-shirt or something. As soon as those assets are like verifiably scarce and you and you and the end user have property rights over them, you know, then it's like, okay, I could be doing something that's on the scale of like Nike. And that's what you see with like artifact, right? Is it's like creating digital wearables was something trivial. You assign property rights and for the creator and the purchaser. And suddenly it gets magnified to like the scope of like, or, you know, to the significance level of like real, real world stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very exciting times to be able to do this. Do you, do you, okay. A little bit of a a left turn. Yeah. How do you think about your habits? How do you think about like your personal uh, productivity systems? Yeah. I think I'm always, it's like kind of like a constant battle to like, you know, keep maintaining those. I think, um, for me, like, uh, the best thing I think I've done is, I don't know if it's like that much of a daily practice, but it's more of a mindset, which is just kind of like, you gotta, like, you gotta embrace that, like doing something like running, like creating a project, trying to create something new that doesn't exist. Like it, it, it's going to be difficult and it's going to be the main thing you're working on. Yeah. Just sort of accepting the austerity of that a little bit. And then really trying to 
invest in just revitalizing yourself when you're not working on it. Like that's your leisure time. Like we're hitting the ice bath sauna earlier today, hitting the gym, making sure to climb, getting outside. Like you kind of have to accept that you're like, you know, I almost think of it like if you were like on campaign, you know, Mm -hmm. like for a while, like it's, you're sleeping in a tent or something and you're not really doing much else. I just kind of accept that. Like, that's what it is, what it is, you know, you just, that's what you, that's it. You know? So that's, I don't know if that's like a great daily practice, but I just basically accept that the project, you know, informs everything else I do for mm-hmm. the time being. Yeah. 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 Do you find that that's harder? Because like, you know, when you actually go and think about like campaigning, especially with great leaders, because uh, they were winning, mm-hmm. uh, it was some of the best times because it was like, cool, I get to try all this new food. Like I get to go fucking win with my boys, like 100%. get to like party after, like celebrate and then go on to the next one. And like my life has meaning right now. Yeah. Since, you know especially since in web three, but post pandemic, but since you're, are you the only person on your team that's in Austin or are there more uh, people? No, we have a few others. We have like five or six here. Okay. But do you generally work alone? Alone Right now? Yeah. yeah. That's something I want to remedy, but yeah. yeah. So is that difficult? Like how do you maintain your energy and excitement? That's a good, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think we try to make discord as like much of our home as we can. So like, you know, lots of voice chat rooms. We're all in there together for like several hours a day, hanging out. Uh, people will even like game and like do some recreation in there. So like, you got to like make yourself at home in the space. We also have like a Lindy walk channel. So if people want to go on a walk during the day and talk to like random team members, they can do that. Just nice. be on voice chat. So we like, I try to do that. Also making sure, I think it's like, we've been, we've been, this is stuff we've been doubling down on recently is like, you know, making sure to take time for like more open-ended discussion that isn't like purely productive, like talking about the future of gaming or NFTs and giving people a chance to like ideate together and like not just look at object level stuff that has to get done today, but you know, really getting excited about like the long-term future of what we're doing. It's kind of a balance of being focused on both. So that's, that's, you know, there's all that. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, I think it's hard. I think the thing I worry most about remote work is it's sort of like everyone just has to make their own habits. And so Mm -hmm. as someone who's like, you know, helping to lead a team, like it's uh, you get concerned, like I hope everyone's eating the right amount and uh, sleeping well and uh, and making sure to get out of their house or away from the computer sometimes. So I think we need to get better at, you know, managing the wellness of people who work with you, even though you're not there in person, you know, like, how can you do that? I think that's a challenge for sure. Yeah. Have you read remote or any of Jason Freed's stuff? Um, no, they're, they're, he's the creator of base camp with DHH, the guy who created Ruby, uh, Ruby oh, cool. Rails. Right, yeah, nice. yeah. Um, but they were like, you know, 15 years ago doing remote companies and they've really like fucked up a lot. So there's a lot of lessons in there. Haven't applied any of them yet, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I'd be interested to have a look. Yeah. 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 It's, um, I think the nice thing too, is if you like for us, we're hiring people who just are kind of like discord, you know, native, you know, yeah. they're just people who just live on there anyway for the, not entirely. We have some people who it's new to them, but a lot of people are. And so that's been kind of nice. Um, but yeah, no, it's a challenge. I think, I think it really is. I think remote work comes with so many benefits that it's worth taking it on. Like we could not have scaled yeah. as fast if we were in one place and we would not have been able to attract the sort of talent that we have yeah. if we didn't. So it's like, it's necessary. I almost, that's the nice thing too, is when you can just commit to it because you're like, there's no other way. Like this is what we have to do. So we need to make it work. Yeah. You know? yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. When you think about your finding new engineers, let's go like, so you had three off the bat and then there's you and another person mm-hmm. that were non, non-engineering. That next hire, that next engineer you hired, like how did you find them? Yeah. So 
One thing is, uh, you know, speaking to founders and stuff that have had big wins and are maybe not in the market for engineers anymore, uh, but they know a lot of people and kind of have that charismatic aura. That's like really valuable. We got one of our best referrals from one of the guys that started Farmville. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. And he basically helped reach out through some of like the Zynga alumni forums Type. and stuff. And we found one guy who's really great, talented uh, Unity engineer. And then we, and then basically I always make a policy of like hiring everyone's, you know, three smartest friends, basically. You Ooh, know? I like that. Like it's you, 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 the referral referrals are just the best way to hire by far because otherwise like just controlling the quality at the top of the funnel is just impossible. You know, if you put out an open job ad, like you just like, who is that selecting for? It's selecting for people who are kind of looking around, trolling around for stuff. Maybe they're not sure what they want to work on yet. Maybe they're really early in their career and they don't have much of a network. And so they're kind of using online job ads, but it doesn't skew towards the veterans. The veterans are not like going through your job portal, like for sure. The veterans are doing something. The ones you really want are like working on something cool right now. And maybe they're a little restless and they're waiting to do something else. And then you need to go find them and you, and, and you need to get introduced through someone who they respect. So yeah, referrals are just the best. There's no, there's nothing better than referrals. Yeah. Yeah. I love that three smartest friends, like hiring that is sick. You also yeah. gave me an idea because I have some friends at Zynga and I was like, oh shit, maybe I can go source some people there. You should. Yeah. No, yeah. there's lots of good people. Zynga's, Zynga's great. Yeah. Do you think, like, have you always felt like you wanted to be an entrepreneur and like were called to this direction? Mm. Or is this something that like the problem has arisen? You saw the opportunity and you feel like this is the time? I think, um, I think it's like, Kind of, um, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't say like it was obvious to me that I'd be doing exactly this for sure. I don't, I don't think that was, I think it was like, I wanted to do my own thing or I didn't, I didn't even know that I did, but like, I've gone, I've tried a lot of different things. I've worked at different places. I've just never been like fully happy with it. And, uh, and I've had my own opinions about how things should be done and whatnot. And so it's almost like, in a way you wind up, at, I've wound up at it by process of elimination in some ways, you know, it's both like, I like games, I love crypto and I want to do something in it like that. The positive case is true, you know, but also just the process of working at other organizations and just being like, yeah, I don't know. You know, like, I think this could be done differently or I feel, you know, uh, like I don't, I don't feel like slotting into some other thing. Like I don't, I'm not excited at the prospect of working at Google or Apple or something at all. Yeah. You know, that doesn't do it for me at all. I would be pretty sad. Yeah. So it is sort of by necessity too. You know what I mean? It's both, both I like crypto and it's also like, I don't like the idea of working at some kind of really cringe big company. Like it just doesn't do it for me. No, for sure. Do you think you could ever go backwards now? Like ever go back? I don't know if I could, yeah. honestly, I think it's done now. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm, I'm, I'm screwed if I ever had to. So I bet that, and that's in a way it's great. I mean, it's like, we gotta, I see this as like, you only get so many opportunities to like marshal good people and capital to go try something. Yeah. Like you don't get to choose when those opportunities come along. Uh, so it's kind of nice. It just adds more urgency, you know? And on those days where you're like, maybe a little more tired, you're like, I better keep pushing because, uh, you know, these opportunities don't come along all the time and you'd be waiting for another one for quite some time. So for sure. Yeah. So we plan on, we plan on doing it. Yeah. I've always loved like the Evan Spiegel, like turning down Facebook, mm, like yeah, two or $3 billion, whatever it was, just because he was like, I, I have like, I've caught a wave. I'm on mm-hmm. it there. I'm ne- I will never get this. You, like you can't trade a billion dollars for this. Like this doesn't ever happen. Snap again. doesn't happen twice. Yes. You don't get to do two snaps. Yeah. Very, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Because it is about factors bigger than yourself. You know, that's what you've even seen. Like we have, are very far from having proven our point. You know, we have much to prove still. 
but the like even just the confluence of events where it's like okay crypto bull market i happen to have been involved in it for a while and kind of know the landscape the right people are around i like my co-founder zach's invaluable for this some friends i have who are game devs or like adjacent like just you don't get to choose how things line up you just get to choose whether you pull the trigger when they do mm-hmm. you know so it's like yeah you got to I, I get it he's like yeah it's it's yeah the it's rare to get us to really take into good swing at something. Yeah. Without a doubt. So we talked about uh, being in the sauna earlier and ice bath. When you're in an ice bath, like what do you think about? Like what's going through your head usually? Mm. Um, honestly, I think I like it because it's very hard to think, you know, mm. in a way. Like it's just you spend so much time thinking about like abstract stuff or concerns around things. And I actually really like it because I think it's just super visceral and like, you can't think that's exactly what I like about it, mm. to be honest. Yeah, for sure. You kind of <laughs> really do have to just like sit down into it. That's why I like about being in Austin too. When it's hot, like in the summer, you yeah. like can't even think. Yeah. You know? It's almost like you're inside in an air conditioned space and then you can like think and like be really like instrumental with your thinking. And you're like thinking about how to, you know, succeed in some situation. And then you're outside in the heat and all you can do is have a beer and hang out. That's pretty much it. So I, yeah. I like it. It's like involuntary uh, stop to introspection and planning. It's kind of great. Force turn off. I think a lot of fitness yeah. is like that in general, yeah, right? Definitely. Like running becomes that. And that's where I think so much of the benefit really does come from is because especially somebody who works in some sort of knowledge-based thing, it's you can live in your head all day. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to find a way to to turn that off. That's mm-hmm. what I like about all that stuff. Yeah. Go, go for a swim, climb sauna, all that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think like Austin in general has a sort of moderating influence on a whole. Like For sure. I've lived in New York and other places and it kind of just ramps everything up even more, you know, and then you can exhaust yourself and whatnot. It has its own benefits, but here it's nice because it's kind of constantly like a city that's kind of asking you to like, you know, hey, like enjoy things and chill a little bit. Yeah. Without a doubt. I, I love the city more than like basically anyone at I've ever lived in. And I think a lot of it is exactly that because, you know, I go to Miami for a week in the first two days. I'm like, this is amazing. I love it. And by the time yeah. it's done, I'm like, I never want to come back yes. here again because here it's, I come and like when every time I find Austin, I feel healthier. Mm-hmm. I feel as if my, 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 my whole being is more aligned with like what I'm trying to do in the world. Yeah. I think it, yeah, I agree. I think like what's nice too is it's like, it doesn't have a very, like a lot of cities have a really kind of imposed, they're very imposing. Like you're there and it immediately kind of realigns the way you're thinking, yeah. you know, you go to New York and you can just feel it like everything's sort of dialed in, you know, like it's just, yeah, a lot of like, just, you, you, you think differently. Your consciousness is differently when you're in New York, mm-hmm. Miami too. Like it refocuses you on different things. I'd say Austin is like really an open canvas. That's kind of what I think a lot of people are drawn to is you have a lot of people leaving like SF or New York and they come here because they can have a house. They can like look at your house, like you're deliberate about the way you've you've done it. Like you have it's your space, and you can just move very deliberately. Like that's what I think is uh, nice about it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Are you down to talk about the swords or are those? Secrets? Oh yeah, we can talk about dude. The so swords. tell me, tell me about the swords and like how people can, like, you know, sign up for the right NFTs to get one. Like yeah. I thought those are super dope. Mm. Yeah, so we've released uh, and we've almost entirely given them away for free, with like one small exception. Um, so we've released three things. We did the legendary palm NFTs, which for me were a little bit influenced by like kind of the Triforce and like some early Zelda lore. Um, and those are like 
basically I see it as if you own a palm, you're sort of like an old like patrician, you know, you're someone who's been there at the beginning who has a stake in Nifty Island that isn't defined by money. It's defined by like being there early and contributing. And that's going to give you like when we, as we choose how the game is governed and it works, like you are like a different sort of participant. You're like a founding father of the game. Like if you have one of those, that's how I think about it. Mm. Uh, And then with the ultra blade and the pistols. So the ultra blade, we largely raffled off to um, palm holders and, uh, And that one for us, like with the blades and the pistols, they're an experiment in what I think is going to be the most exciting NFT inventory in the future, which is all like game ready assets that will have some utility. Mm. So like, I think the like profile picture stuff is great, but that's where the ball is and where the ball's going, I think is like stuff that's deeply embedded in game universes. Mm -hmm. So for us, the ultra blade is kind of like owning the, the master sword, you know, but for like a more open social gaming platform. So Look at it like this, like probably the two most important items in video games are like guns and swords. Mm-hmm. Like they, they come up a lot and we're going to be building all these different games on top of Nifty Island and those items will be usable across them. And we hope usable in other games eventually too. Um, and, uh, and so to me, like those are things for the OGs to have in the community. And they're also like us building capacity as a team and experimenting with like what we can create. Like the guns were interesting because we did proceed we procedurally generated them. So like there's a bunch of different components that we created. Uh, and then basically running it, we ran a script that like assembled and skinned them in all different ways. And that's something I don't think anyone had done before was like some sort of procedurally generated weapon. Uh, and, uh, I think it's the future stuff like that. So yeah, it was a really fun like experiment for us in a way to reward early supporters. So yeah, it's good. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah I absolutely love that. I also love like making anything IRL like out of mm. like these memes. That's really cool. Yeah. I didn't even mention that with the ultra blade, that yeah, yeah. the ticket and the blade, every blade came with a ticket. And if you burn the ticket, it's kind of like unisocks where you get an actual sword. So I have like so many swords at my house. And in <laughs> fact, I have so many swords at my house. And then someone sent me a samurai sword and I don't know who sent it. I think I was touching on <laughs> yeah, you, but yeah. it's so weird. So I'm like hoping someone hears this and can like take credit for it. Cause it's just confirm. like strange. I went from having zero swords to now I have like, like I just did, I didn't own any at all. Just a normal guy without any <laughs> like weapons at all. Yeah. And now I have like basically 300 at my house. Yeah. And I'm like, this is a lifestyle change. Yeah. I just love that you're shipping swords to people too. Like, yeah. I just love that. I think it's so Oh, funny. it's great. It's a great part of my routine. Yeah. 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 yeah it really gets you in the zone. Got to nice convince edge. FedEx to be cool with it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. For sure. That's amazing. All right. So we're going to enter into the dojo zone of the podcast. Um, this is where I tend to, you know, let's get out of your area of expertise, but kind yeah. of start to think through some of what I think are kind of the interesting problems that we have in this world. Yeah. So I think since I kind of mentioned this one earlier, let's start with here. And I like to do this one a lot, honestly, because I think it's a really, I think it's, I think it's a a solvable problem. So let's talk about homelessness. Mm -hmm. How do you think, and if you don't have any thoughts, you can always say pass, but how, how do you think about the problem of homelessness do you have any like divergent or creative thoughts on maybe how we could solve it? Have you thought about it at all? I have thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because it has been a pretty big presence in this city. So it's something you can't help but kind of think about. Um, so, I mean, look, I'll just say too, like with big topics like this, I tend to go into it with humility. Like, I don't think I have the answer, but I'll say this is kind of my like hunch on it. 
would be, I think like one of the interesting things about it is just that like, what's the source cause of it? Like, why are there countries where there's much less of it? Like you go to like, say like Scandinavia or something and there's no, there's no home. There's not really homelessness. You don't really see it. Um, why is it here? We have like this significant amount of suffering. Uh, I tend to think that it's homelessness is kind of a byproduct of how atomized people have become and that like communal ties have broken down so much that when someone is really going through a rough time, like the sort of like, basically like in life, I think like strength compounds strength and weakness compounds weakness. And that's kind of one of just like brutal realities of things. And so when you fall off the horse, you're injured mentally or spiritually, physically, like it tends to be that if you're left to your own devices, it just kind of keeps getting worse because you make worse decisions and it kind of keeps going and people end up like down and out. And that's like homelessness, right? Like you, you lose your job and then you start doing drugs and then that triggers a mental health problem. And then you're, you know, on the street. And the only thing that really can undo that is if you have people who like robustly care about you, who are going to say like, no way, I'm not letting you go down this path. And I think more and more people just don't have that. And so it means like, there's no bottom, there's no floor, you know, things just, you just end up there. So to me, it's like, I could, the way I could see homelessness being solved, I don't see it as just purely like we don't have the houses for people, you know, like, I don't think it's, I'm a little less interested in like the housing inventory thing of it. It's like, because people who end up homeless, like have other stuff going on, you know? Um, So to me, it's like, you know, what can we, I don't know how we solve it. But it's like people need deeper social ties. Yeah. People need community, family, et cetera. Like that feels like the root cause of it to me. And I don't know how you solve that, but I think you want more of that. That's like the the safeguard. For sure. There's one of my favorite uh, spoken word poems. Uh, it was actually based on an essay by J. Michael Straczynski. Are you familiar with that dude? He wrote one of the, like the very like not Star Trek, not Star Wars, but then like the third most famous like space 1980s, 70s. Interesting. Like space. I forget what it is. Yeah, it'll come to me. But but, uh, in it, he says like the greatest cruelty in the world is our casual casual blindness to the suffering of others. And that's just like, yeah, it is weird because like when you don't have that community, when it's just just somebody on the other side of a wall and it's just an NPC that's walking around. Like you can just put this blinder up. Whereas like, if it was like your cousin or your friend or someone you knew, like it would be heart wrenching and it's very strange our ability to do that. And I do think it's some, some sort of a survival mechanism. It has to be right. That's why it's been encoded this far. Yeah. Right. If you let it all in, it would destroy you. It would destroy you. But it's like, how can we, you know, if we could each just think about one of those people as in our Dunbar's number in our community, like it would only take 3000 people in Austin to like solve the homeless yeah. crisis. You yeah. know what I mean? That's true. And so I think there is that social tie community thing is a huge aspect to it. Yeah. People finding this is something I'm like hopeful for with how the internet matures too, is like, can it be like an engine more for people finding more commonality, mm-hmm. you know, like, and that's what I've liked about being in crypto, especially is like, I meet when I go to like an event, or something or and also i don't really like like i'm not a huge like social media user but mm-hmm. i've come to use it a lot for crypto it's the only thing that has motivated me to use it yeah and like when i tweet something i tend to feel like i'm like i know who i'm tweeting for and like i know how people will receive these things yeah whereas like i actually feel like on facebook or instagram like i feel much less sure of that i'm kind of yeah. like i'm like yeah i don't really know what people want to see and like how this will be received and how they think about things and just the generosity and like you know expressiveness that 
you have when you feel like there's a commonality, you know, shared frames, shared priors. It's just so much more. And I hope the internet can be something that finds that for more people, you know, people find deeper. You, I hope people have in the end, like in five or 10 years, people have much more people have really deep friendships because of the internet without it. That would be good. Yeah. That'd be a good outcome. No, a hundred percent dude. I, and that's, that's, <clears throat> I think that's definitely a dream in this space. And I also think it's like, the more like that's one of the like fundamental promises that I'm starting to see more and more and more. Like when I was in Miami and I know I went to like an NFT party, it was like, okay, cool. Like usually when I go to a party, let's say if I have five core things I'm interested or really hyped about that day, maybe there'll be a few other people that have like one of the things. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's like, I'm the only person who's into media, Asian shit, podcasting yeah. and crypto. Right. Yeah. But then I go to, you know, the own one party in Miami and it's like, okay, everyone's into Asian shit. Yeah. Everyone's into NFTs. Everyone's into crypto. And so now I'm like the podcasting guy and they, and I'm interested in them because they have, you know, the other thing that they're interested too. It's like, cool. We have so much in common going 100%. into this already. It makes it like so easy to move forward and like fast friends and stuff. I totally agree, man. Yeah. I think really like it is, uh, this it's what's so underrated with the crypto with crypto too, is just like, People who are in it are living like 10 years in the future, I think, yeah. you know, because they're like, like when you look at it, like people have a social life that they've kind of like kind of forged out of Twitter. Mm-hmm. And then there are these conferences that serve as like kind of pop up shops for like IRL social stuff. And they happen every couple of months and everyone goes to them. And it's like a festival of all everyone hanging out in person, like crypto conferences, I feel like are very secondarily like commercial conferences you know yeah, yeah yeah they're just like it's just a time where all these people who know each other from the internet like get together and it, it does feel like in the future like maybe everyone will have an affinity group like that yeah. you know everyone's in an affinity group and they go to a conference every month or two maybe the other layer of that that will come is more intentional living situations people live in like a housing network that's defined by some affinity group that feels like a future i i, I feel like it's it's very likely uh, it's desperately needed i think Dude, without a doubt. And what's crazy is I think people underestimate people who like muggles like tend to underestimate like how deep the bonds can be here. Like mm-hmm. one of my friends that I met through this through podcasting and through crypto stuff, um, his name is Eric Jorgensen. Like I got an invite to his wedding. We've never met in person. That's crazy. pretty crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah. But you're like, it's like, of course I got to. Yeah. Yeah. This guy's got to come. Yeah. It's wild. That dude. is wild. Yeah. It's absolutely wild. If you were... Uh, if you were going to give yourself like three pieces of advice, doesn't have to be three, just three as a number mm. back in December, like at ideation phase, mm. what would you tell yourself now? Well, I guess the thing I'd be tempted to say would be like, you know, be more bullish. Like I was bullish, but like it's all accelerated so fast <laughs> and like, you know, I'd be, I would say that it's like really, yeah, triple down on your convictions even more and be, yeah, like assume that this is going to go on a pretty wild growth trajectory, like the whole NFT space. That's that's the thing I think it was hard for me to see other stuff than that. Um, Can I just pause on that? It's pretty yeah. crazy because you were building a whole NFT ecosystem <laughs> world and yet you didn't think you were bullish enough on it. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, no, I mean, I think, yeah. It's it's funny because I have found like with crypto, like the biggest, like over the past few years, the biggest mistake is just not being long enough. You yeah. Know? And, and I've done my best to be long, but it, the only times when I can really be like so crazy long is my own project. Yeah. You know, it's something like, I'm like, okay, like, because I am in 
basically extremely long crypto through this. Uh, and uh, yeah, but it's only, that's the time where I managed to do it. I find it hard to be quite as ridiculous. Like it's basically like by doing a project, it's kind of being like being a hundred X levered long crypto. Mm-hmm. And usually I'm no leverage, just like owning a bunch of crypto. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's, yeah, yeah. My, that's my event. Uh, anyway, but yeah, so I guess you're right. I think thankfully default, I have been really long, but yeah, you basically, it's, it's been hard to be bullish enough. I think that's been the biggest challenge Okay, because it just seems so impossible. Like when, like you go back a year and it seemed like maybe we didn't know the bull market would last this long. We didn't know all the stuff that would happen. It seemed people were so uncertain. I remember when we raised our first round, there were all these people being like, I don't know, like I'm a little nervous about the market. And they're like, does this valuation work? I don't know. And so many people were skittish and uncertain. And that has been, that was a mistake for most people. Uh, yeah. For sure, man. When you think about, when you, when you think about how to actually uh, harness like the energy within yourself and the confidence within yourself to build something that doesn't exist and to like guide that without having really like directional posts. Like, do you have any practices you do to help you mm. like really seal in that vision? Yeah, I do. Um, I basically have always uh, like a kind of couple notes in my phone that will be like kind of current like priorities and I'll periodically go and I'll like sit and think and write and try to synthesize like, what are the top things that I ought to be doing right now that are really going to push the ball forward? Because there's so many daily little myopic things you can get caught up in. And if you're spending too much time on those, like you should really be deliberate and say like, is this the highest leverage thing I should be doing with my day or not? And so for me, like I break, I like also to really try to define like what my role is in the project. Mm. I I see it as like, if you're leading a project, you're just playing a role in it. For sure. I mean, like it's not actually any in some ways it is you know it's it's not necessarily like more important than any other role it just is a role that you need to play and so for me i boil down basically like what i do is like is just build is vision and like capacity building so it's like where do we want to go you know what's the vision here and then like ensuring that we have the capacity such that if everyone else on the team plays their role it will work uh and that's kind of it uh and then there are many subsets of that, like recruiting or capital raises or like product work, specking, doing, you know, docs that will give the engineers like details on what they should be building. Those things are all part of that. Uh, and it, for me, it's like taking that role of like, OK, so I basically have to be the like the flag bearer for this vision. And then I got to build capacity to achieve it uh, and ensure the capacity is there and maintained. And then I'm like, always reflecting on like what specifically within those two are, should I be doing right now? What's the most high leverage? So I try and do that all the time and I create big to-do lists and then I end up having to retire them, you know, because they, you can feel it. I create a priority, like a set of priorities, create lists of things to do under each one. And then they grow and expand and kind of deform over time. And then you have to set the whole thing aside and start from a clean slate again, yeah. basically. That's what I find. I have like lots of defunct old to-do lists. Yeah. yeah it's Same. A, they just realize they were never a priority. And then it's like, yeah. yeah. A priority shifts or like the world throws a bunch of gunk at you, little tasks, and those end up in the list under these categories. And then the categories no longer make sense. And so it is that kind of constant process of like pushing that aside and starting again. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. If uh Let's say that I am a 25-year-old person working at uh, management consulting and I want to go into Web3. Like, what's step one? Right. Yeah, I think um, I think step one is probably dual 
two things are like building a conviction around it is important because I think like it's very easy to just chase like the it thing right now. And that can be okay. But I would just say like there's room, there's reason to be somewhat hesitant of that. If you're like constantly just chasing the ball and ping ponging between what's like popular right now, it's kind of hard to have like a big win or for things to really work out, especially because there will be a bear market. There will be some period where the, the, the like all this is no longer the it thing mm-hmm. or for some period it is not. And if you aren't willing to stay in the game, it's not worth getting in the game. Like mm. only you should only get in a game you want to stay in. Yeah. Uh, and so I would say building the conviction, really examining whether it's what you want to do would be the first step. And then the second, you know, that maybe you do in parallel is, uh, you know, just like jumping into the community of it. You know, it's like it's all right there. It's all on Twitter. You can go into a discord and contribute to a project. You can feel it out. Following the life cycle of some early projects, too, is so illuminating. Being at the beginning and seeing it all come together, really generative. So I would say it's that, really, it's those two things. Build the conviction such that if you think you want to do this, like know that you will stay in it through the difficult times. And then the second is just being in the mix, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If I were a developer, designer, artist marketer right now and wanted to come work with you guys what would what would be the way to do that yeah um that's a good question i think if you're a developer and you're really skilled like you just gotta hit us up basically the the engineers have the more uh like simple path because they put a lot of upfront work in so i'd say with that it's like just literally just send me hey i built this and i want to build this with you you know and then i'd be like great let's go let's talk about it yeah so that's an easy one uh for like people that are on the more like non-technical side who are helping with like marketing or business development ecosystem, whatever with that, I think it's like, uh, I think you got to find a way to get in touch. It's kind of novel, you know, and coming with some kind of clear value. Like it always helps to me when someone says like, looks at what we're doing and has like a lot of empathy around what the problems are that I'm probably thinking about and like Mm. what's going on. And if I can see that they have managed independently to identify like a problem that we have, and then they're suggesting a path forward that they could do pretty autonomously, then I'm like, okay, that's great. Because it says to me, this person's proactive and this person is down to like figure out what to do with me. Uh, Because I think the thing that doesn't work is some people like, like marketing or business development, but they take the attitude of being at a big company where all they're already in the matrix. All the problems are defined. It's all been gamified, you know, and they just need to go do it. Mm-hmm. And that is actually really hard to use in an early stage yeah. product project because it's sort of like, look, we're always trying to define what needs to be done. You know, that's that's a lot of the the mountain, and and it would be a lot of work for me to do that for you. Uh, mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, I don't know if that. I think that's that's what I would say for sure. It is crazy when you find someone who just takes initiative and owns like their piece of the pie. It's oh, just, like yeah. the greatest thing on earth. Oh, it's sick. It's, it's so, so sick. It really is. No, that's like, yeah. Then they're a stakeholder and yeah. you know, that's like a whole different thing than like a employee. Like there's definitely from founding something to like employees, like a big spectrum. Uh, and there are people like their engineers and whatnot or marketers that are basically founders. They just, you know, they just have a different role. They're like a, definitely a founding member, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you have a quake piece of media? So like when I, I don't mean the game, I mean mm. like uh, something that like shook your world. So either like a book that really like opened your eyes or an yeah. article or a podcast or a YouTube video or a game even. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bunch of stuff. So one thing I'll say is I wrote 
like a long form essay right before I kind of started all mm-hmm. this that kind of like where I've been just sort of like setting aside, like kind of trying to align on like a kind of metaphysics or like a philosophy that I felt like made sense. And like, and that would, that kind of played into me deciding to like, just go build this, mm-hmm. uh, with, with the team, with Zach and everybody. So, uh, I'd say there was a lot of books I've read that have been pretty formative. Is that something that's public? That yeah, it is. Read? Yeah. Okay. Where yeah. do you, where do you find it? It's on Palladium mag. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, basically it's called, uh, it's, um, it's overcoming modernity means moving beyond humanism or something like that. Mm. And it's basically this like essay where I just reckon with like how much a lot of, I think a lot of like modern philosophy, like presumes a lot of control and knowledge about how the world works and how a lot of that is like pretty false. And that there's a, some subset of like philosophers and writers that just accept that you don't really know how everything works. Yeah. And so like Taleb's a really like famous example of that. A guy Alexander McIntyre I include in there, Bauman, Land, a bunch of others, uh, and that essay actually probably summarizes a lot of my like intellectual kind of influences pretty well. Um, and then outside of that, let me see. Um, hmm, I think, uh, yeah, I think like what's and then on kind of media or other, you know, I think there's there's just too much stuff. Like, I think, I mean, I've just played a lot of games. We all, everyone on the team, we all love like a lot of Nintendo stuff, Mm. Breath of the Wild, whatnot. Like just the pure craftsmanship of it and stuff is like a real statement of like gaming as being like a real art form. That's awesome. I like Hideo Kojima stuff. Like he's a legend. Um, And yeah, I think, I think that's, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's it. All right. Last question. I think a lot of, I think a lot of failures that we've seen, and I won't even know if they're failures, but a lot of errors along the path for capitalism, communism is always like optimizing for the wrong things. So since you're building a gaming world, in my mind, it makes sense that like probably one of the main things you're optimizing for is fun. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think that does to a society that optimizes for fun? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Yeah, I think um, there's like definite. So, like, I think, let me try and break down fun a little bit cool. where it's like, you know, there's a lot of types, like there's like kind of spectacle and like, you know, passive, like hedonism and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's something we're doing yep. plenty of it today for mm-hmm. sure. And maybe less of a fan of that. What I actually like about gaming is I think it is about play, mm-hmm. you know, more mm-hmm. than it is about just like a pure, just idle fun. Yeah. So it's like, if you're optimizing for play, I think it's like, you know, it's about like, creativity there's like surprise and things that come out of it you don't expect which is great it's very communitarian that there's like a communal dimension to it and so i think like if you're optimizing for play it's got to be it's about like it's it's creativity and community both become you know really important there so yeah and i think uh i think in a lot of ways yeah i don't think our society optimizes for play very much it's a lot of fun and a lot of passive spectacle where you're kind of in the back you know pushed back in your seat and you're watching some like pop star do something or a movie or whatever i don't think there's enough play i think play we could do more with yeah without a doubt dude and back to like being generative and regenerative like that's something that actually gives you energy definitely for sure definitely dude love the way you think thank you for your time uh had a blast definitely would love to do the next one on nifty island that would be sick uh where can people find nifty island you 
all the good stuff. Yeah. So yeah, you can check out uh, Nifty Island. I think the best. So you have niftyisland.com, all one word. You can check that out. Our Twitter's linked there, but the Twitter's uh, nifty underscore island. That's where we put out most of our info, and there's a link to the Discord. My Twitter is uh, Charles, but the E's a three V I I. So uh, yeah, you can check that out too. Cool. There Charles the seventh, basically. Yeah. Nice, dude. You got it. All right, bro. Awesome. Let's go. See you today. Thanks for listening, y'all. Peace.